Hello, and welcome back to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. I'm Creston. And we're back after a long break. Uh, it's been, what, three weeks? Something like that? I believe that is correct, sir. Midway through November, we, we took a little break, but we're back. Getting ready for Christmas. Getting ready for lots of food and lots of eggnog and lots of programming. Crunch of programming time right before end of the year. And the clients go, Whoo! Uh, so tonight we are going to play with Ruby critic. We're going to kind of do a fun little experiment. I'm actually looking forward to tonight because this is going to be fun. We're going to take a code base that we've never seen before, a sample code base and run Ruby critic against it and see what we can figure out about this code just from, from Ruby critic. Um, so that's going to be fun. And it's, it's all to, to, learn what does Ruby Critic do, how does it help you, what kind of things can you use it for. Um, but before we get into that, what have you been doing for the last three weeks, programming related? Programming related. Um, dealt with some more spammers. That was a little frustrating. Ugh. Form spammers, that is. Um, dealt with frustration with regard to Chrome autofilling fields. So my main application, oops, my main application is a form builder and it arbitrarily is sticking like the first field it sees the first name of someone. It's just autofilling it. Like it could be um, registration code. It could say that and it's a text field. And it just randomly inserts the first name, the full name of someone, if it's like the first field in a form. Well, that's weird. I know it drives me bananas. <laughs> oh wait, I think I'm having audio issues. Again? Oh uh, no, no. I'm good. I'm good. So that was, or that is, highly frustrating because it's like, you know, they have the autocomplete. And Chrome ignores autocomplete off, but I also have some issues with that because I need to retain the cache of what value fields. Because not only does autocomplete turn off autocomplete, but it also has a side effect of not storing anything in the browser's cache. So if you click on the back button, it forgets everything that was entered. Ooh. And I'm actually using that particular feature in some aspects of my application. So I don't want to turn that off. That's a nice so little catch twenty two. I'm just yeah, and so I'm just pulling my hair out with what Chrome is doing and making me bananas. So that's one thing. Um, did a fair number of work with consultants in terms of doing some Postgres migrations, uh, solutions to helping some other shrink databases by doing reindexes or trying to strategize how to. Uh, shrink particular tables. Um, and then a lot of general feature development, like some customers sent me, a, or one of my bigger customers sent me a list of, hey, these are some features that we'd really love to have uh, or capabilities we'd really love to have. So I've just basically been going through that and then delivering, you know, kind of what they were interested in. Mm -hmm. That's it for me, pretty much. Oh, so I've run into a, couple of weird things um one of them was 
yesterday, actually, I was working on a bug, and I, as long as I've been using Ruby, I never knew this. But apparently, if you do, um, I can't remember if it was date.parse or time.parse. I think it was time.parse. And you can pass it just a day name, like Saturday, right? And if you do that, it, we were doing it to try to bring localized times back to UTC and get everything normalized to UTC to compare times and stuff from disparate things. Long, complicated mess. But one of the problems was when you um, cross the week mark in that dot parse with a date name, it backs it up a week. So when I was expecting to see like the 27th of November coming out, I'd put the 27th of November in, get the day name for it, pass it the day name and the time into the time.parse, and it would bring back the 21st of November. And I was like, oh, wow, that's a sneaky little thing. But I had no idea that it would, that apparently it has some kind of cutoff. I guess it's like Saturday is the end of the week. And if you give it a day name and just tell it to parse, it'll give you whatever date that day name is in that week. So it may back you up. Yeah, that's... So you were just relying upon day of the week and not using an actual date? Well, I fixed the problem by passing a date in. The code I got yeah, was using yeah, a day. Yeah. And I was like, well, no wonder we're having problems. <laughs> that's... It's yeah, I the would never day. use. That's kind of weird. I would never use day of the week stuff. Yeah, I'm not but. sure why that was done to begin with, but it may have been some leftover from some other things because they were having to do some things with day of the week and and do <clears> some <throat> comparisons um, for scheduling during certain days and stuff. But it it was just weird because nowhere in that code once I got to it was it necessary to just have the day. So I was like, but it took me forever to track that down. I was like, you know, if you just read through the code, okay, this looks reasonable. But, oh, wow, that was weird. And then, so we use Datadog um, for log aggregation and stuff and a lot of uh, the APM and stuff at, at my job. Datadog is kind of our, our central thing. And I talked to them about I had originally talked to them about bringing app signal in because we didn't have anything like app signal and I have used that for a long time and I love it. And it, that's just how I troubleshoot uh, production issues because it's much mm -hmm. easier. And they said, well, Hey, Datadog has this um, tracing thing. They call it code hotspots. So you can get in there and you can see the traces with the line numbers and what, you know, we've got this long running thing and here's how it breaks down and it's really nice and, and it was working really well, and we were playing with it. And then I discovered that you can't look at those traces for anything more than 24 hours old. And I'm like, that does absolutely no good. Why? What's the point of that? So, yeah. So anyway, it, it was just, that was that blew my mind. I was like, why would you put that feature up there? It's a great feature, but limit it to 24 mm -hmm. hours. I I hope I get the, you know, get the, the report and I'm able to schedule looking at it 
that day or I'm in trouble. (laughs) Do you think it's just due to the plan level that you're at that it's limiting to 24 hours? No, there's no plan levels for it. As far as we could tell, I was talking to the infra guys and they were like, well, I put a ticket in because uh, filed a ticket with them because I can't find any way to change that setting. It's just 24 hours. And I was like, oh, wow. Um, Okay. Because I was like, if we can't find a way to do that, that's a deal breaker for me. No vacations for you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Don't ever hope to come back tomorrow and research something. So I it, that just I, I'm hoping to find out more about that, but that just blew my mind. Why? What's I, I don't get it. I don't know. Maybe I'm old and crotchety, but that uh, I'm not that fast. Anyway, so that's that's kind of the fun I've been having, other than just heads down, button mashing. Um, feels sometimes like I'm just playing an Xbox game on my keyboard here, just. Um, so without further ado, do let's take a look at Ruby critic. Here we go. This is a, I really love this thing. I started using it a few years back, not long after it, they, they put it out. Um, cause I was a big, big fan of things like, um, code cove and later simple cove, um, looking at the coverage things and I like metrics and stuff and, and being able to look at holistically look at code. So this is a, and if anybody wants to follow along, there's a link in the description on YouTube for this thing. This is actually a sample project, a good sized code base. It looks like um, to look at Ruby critic and a couple other things too, but we're going to concentrate on Ruby critic here tonight. So, we haven't looked at this code. I have no idea what this code does, what it is. I haven't looked at one line in this code base. So we're going to see. And where what, did you Where did you get this from? Uh, this it's from FastRuby. Um, they put up a like a test database, which I think is really nice of them, or a test code base. I mean, um, to kind of show off Ruby Critic and a couple of other analytics tools. Okay. Um, so, and um, like I said, we've got this this link down in the show notes, so you guys can get to it too and play around. But so, let's take a look at this Ruby critic. Um, it looks like complicated stuff, um, but once you start breaking it down, it's not that bad, and you can really quickly get a sense of what you're dealing with on a new code base if you run this against it. Um, this isn't the only thing you want to look at, but it's a good starting place. So first, the, the chart over here. So what I know about this code base is it's in decent condition um, from a grading standpoint. Um, basically, it's, this kind of looks at these grades, this A, B, C, D, and F are kind of holistic. How many smells does it have? What's the churn versus complexity? What And there's a this thing that goes into... Um, grading these. So it's not in too bad a shape. I don't like to see code bases with Fs. So the first thing I usually try to do is tackle those away. And Ds are not that great either. I can live with Cs. But the fact that more than half of this code base is an A, that's that's a good, good shout. Because it's not going to take a lot of work to get things back to snuff. 
But this is just kind of a good first stab at how healthy is this code base generally. Um, before we get to the churn versus complexity, let's take a look down here at the summary. So this kind of breaks this chart out is all it's doing and telling you for each letter grade how many files there are, uh, the churns that it has, which is kind of overturn of checking in and stuff, and how many smells are in it, like, you know, the, the code smell things, the things you want to refactor out. So, again, it's just detail for this um, chart. This... So churn is basically... How often it's checked in and out. How often? Yeah. How many file commits you have? For, yeah. How many commits you have for the file? Yeah. Right. Because I I think of it. Yeah. So it's just basically number of commits essentially. It is, and 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 from a a talking points perspective, it's how often does this thing? How much does this thing change? Yeah, yeah. Because if you actually hover the mouse over the dots, it gives you it tells you like so many commits, and that's right. basically what what their churn what the churn is. Right. Okay. And so this churn versus complexity graph, this is a great thing to look at to get a real quick idea of what things you want to start refactoring. What are good candidates for refactoring? So this code base is in pretty good shape, and I know that because the closer to zero, zero you are, the better shape that code file is in. That means it doesn't change very often, and it's not complex at all. So everybody understands it, and nobody ever changes it. Great. We love that file. As we move up here, um, the complexity gets harder, but it's still not changed that often. So, you know, if I had something like a, a huge config file, like my, my, um, my language YAMLs or something, I put them together. They're huge. They're complex but they never get changed. That's fine. I, I don't need them to be terribly simple um, from a code complexity standpoint, because they're just config files. And, you know, that's, and if they never change, who cares how complex it is? I don't need to really understand that file itself very well. Not very often anyway. As we move out this way along the x-axis, what we're looking at is these files are changing quite a bit. So like this file way out here, people work on this file more than anything else, right? And then, but it, it's still not complex. So yeah, we're changing a lot, but it's a simple file. Everybody understands how it works. And even if you bring somebody new in, they're gonna get it pretty quick. They can read the file and understand it. Where we get into problems and where we want to start refactoring is up in this quadrant here, because oops, there's a yeah reset zoom button. This quadrant is it's complex. Nobody knows how it works, and it changes all the time. That equals problems. That's bugs waiting to happen. So if I get up here and I the flog score is the um, complexity flog because this uses flog and flay for churn and complexity calculations. Um, 
this is something I want to start looking at refactoring. It's good that there aren't a lot up here in this code base. That means the code base is pretty healthy. If you're pretty focused down here with most of your stuff, um, you're in decent shape. If you've got a lot of them up here, if all of them are up here, just go work somewhere else. You don't want to mess with this code base. <laughs> you just don't. But this is where I will, you... I will accept your position if I can run Ruby Critic against that's the code right base before I sign on the dotted line. Uh huh. <laughs> and if you can get away with that, that's actually not a bad idea. Because if you get a if you're going for a job and you see on their Ruby Critic that everything is up here, run away. You don't want that. Um. <clears throat> So this, this upper right quadrant is where you want to look at for um, refactoring opportunities first. I mean, even stuff down here can be refactored, but this is the stuff that's going to get you more utility for the time you spend on it. Bigger bang for your buck. And the, you can see these are color-coded, and they're color-coded by the grades they have. So if you have a bunch of things up here, the closer to red they are, the more they need help. So if you've got some yellow ones up here and some orange ones up here and some red ones up here, you want to start looking at the red ones first because those are your F-score things. They've got, they're just in bad shape. So this code base is not, not horrible. I'd like to see a lot less red, but not bad. Most of it's here. So this is kind of the overview is exactly what it says. It's an overview. It's a nice holistic view of the, the overall code base and what it it what shape it's in. You know. So let's look at the code screen. So this thing by default will sort by rating, uh, descending. So it has every code file in here. And you can see this is a fairly large code base. Um you know, it's more than a Hello World program. Uh, it'll tell you the, the exact numbers for the churn, the complexity. Um, it'll show you how much duplication there is in the in the file. Um, this number, raw number, isn't terribly meaningful, um, it, except in relation to the others. It just kind of gives you a relative view. And now, now, how is this being sorted? By default, it's sorted by rating. Um, so there's some sort of numeric thing behind the scenes that it's. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a function of churn and complexity to to get the overall number. It doesn't show its overall number here, but I think it's a well, function of these things. Well, look at the fourth one down because it's high churn, high complexity, and that's sorted more smells. Yeah, so I don't I, I don't know exactly what the heuristic is for here. I've never really worried sorting. about it. Yeah. Um, but you can tell it to sort other ways. I can sort it by any of these. Um, but I typically will sort it by this because hopefully you don't have pages and pages of Fs. But I've typically looked at this to find the one that I'm interested in dealing with first. So I'm looking for petition spec. Yeah. And um, actually, that that's kind of a 
kind of a weird thing. When I, and this is me, but when I do this on a code base, I'll do one for the app and the live directories together, and then a separate one for my specs. Because I don't want the spec stuff mixed into my regular code. Um, spec does need to be, I mean, your, your tests are code too, and they need to be healthy. But mixing these two together doesn't give you a good relative view of how your code looks versus how your specs look. But for the sake of example, we'll go look for this petition spec. So, hmm, that's weird. Wonder if it's case sensitive. Must be. I never run into that because my file names are always lowercase. But two files? Huh. That's interesting. They're probably in different namespaces, I would guess. All right, so if we go into one of these, so yeah, this is in the models petition spec, and the other one I'm going to assume I missed. Yeah, this is the models archived. So yeah, it's two different namespaces, which is allowed, but not usually advised. I actually don't like that. If I have two things like that in my app directory, like I've run into places where there's like, other than different versions of APIs, that's fine naming them the same. But if you've got like models, this subdirectory, this name, and models, this other subdirectory, the same name, that drives me bananas. I hate that. It's just confusing. Um, so we've drilled into one of these files. We can see there's 81 smells, which we could go look at. But it's nice because it tells you, it, it pulls out, hey, there's duplicate code here. We found it in four nodes. And here they are. Boop, boop, boop. So we can start, you know, going through and refactoring the duplicate code. Um, we've got high complexity here. There's uh, too much stuff going on in this bit. Now, for a spec that's a little bit different meaning than a regular code file, we'll go look at a regular code file soon. Very high complexity. Well, I mean, for one thing, um, I don't see that as high complexity, but that's me. Somebody else might. Probably because they're doing this type of the the shoulda matchers um, with this abbreviated stuff, and it probably doesn't know how to read through that very well. Parse it. Um, so it, it, it tells me there's duplicate code, but then it also will take me to, okay, I found it here and I found it there. And I can look at these two particular pieces of code that look similar. Now, again, for a spec, that's not quite the same as for regular 
code. If this was regular code, I might want to do something about it for a spec. This is probably okay. Is, do you know if there's a way to turn off some of these or to say, hey, I know this is fine or not I, really? I don't think so. I mean, you could turn them all off. Just say, let me look well, at the code. Yeah, but, but... <laughs> um, no, I, I usually just ignore them. I mean, I'll look at them and say, okay, well, that this one doesn't matter, so I'm going to move on to the next thing. Um, let's take a look at something that isn't a spec. So, um, you can see it'll give you just gobs of smells, and it's coming through here saying, look, we, we are doing many, many bad things. Um, too many methods in this petition mailer. Yeah, that's just too much stuff going on in this one file. Um, too many instance variables. So it gives you a lot of good information about a particular file. And what's nice is you can click it and, oh, I don't really understand what that means. Well, it'll tell you, here's what this means. Here's some examples of it. Here's the good stuff. Here's the bad stuff. Um, and it uses reek for this. So for the smells. So it'll actually let you go and find out, well, what does this mean and what should I do about it? Um, like a data clump. I don't see those a lot, so I'm not exactly sure what those are. Uh, oh, I see. Yeah. So you're getting the same two or three things um, together a lot. Like Y1, Y2, Y1, Y2, Y1, Y2. <clears throat> So, this will let you go through and start fixing your files. And a lot of times what I'll do when I do this is I go from my overview, find the one I want to concentrate on, go to the code, get that file, dig down into it, and then start working my way through the issues it has. Because this will do a lot to tell you, hey, you should probably refactor this and this and this. Um, and it does a real good job of putting all these tools together in one place to use them. Because it's the, it. I don't think that it has a lot of functionality itself. It has... And you're talking about the Ruby Critic The gem. Ruby Critic, yeah. I think yeah. what it does really well is it puts all this stuff together into a cohesive package that allows you to quickly get into these things. You know, it uses... Um, reek and flay and flog and things like that and then presents them nicely this kind of stuff is really hard to parse if you look at it in a console just a readout in a console it's much nicer to parse these things like this because i can just say okay i'm looking here here's a dot that i don't like let's go take a look at it so i use this quite a bit and i do it I look at it every so often in my code to A, see if I'm making things better, and B, pick my next target for refactoring. Um, so in production, I don't have, you know, we're a production shop. And we've got lots of customers and lots of demands, and we're constantly 
you know, selling new features and all kinds of stuff that we have to keep up with. So we don't have a ton of time to refactor. So we have to make sure that when we go to refactor, we're making good use of that time because we only have so much we can do. Um, to do um, dedicated refactoring. There's a lot of little refactors that'll go as, you know, we go in to fix a bug, we'll refactor a little if we see something or we're doing a new feature, we'll refactor a little. But dedicated refactoring, we don't get a lot of time to do that. So when I do, I like to go in here and say, okay, let me concentrate on this file because it's going to give me um, good results. This smells uh, page, I don't actually go in here very much. Um, simply because I haven't figured out how to use this in a way that it brings me a lot of utility. It's interesting, um, you know, to kind of see, well, uh, all right, where do I have class variable problems? You know, am I, do I, you know, I don't have a lot of attribute problems. What do I have huge problems with? Duplicate code, which is common. Um, you know, where can I see this? Where can I find it? But it's not really, I haven't found a huge beneficial use for it in, um, analyzing the code other than it's interesting. I'm usually in these first two tabs and I don't come in it, the code tab, the second tab, I don't come in and just randomly go in here and start looking at stuff. It's always, I've picked one or two files that I want to look at specifically from here. Then I go look at them. So this churn versus complexity thing is really the meat of this whole shebang um, because it's the quick way to identify where do I go? What do I want to look at? Now, one thing that should be should be noted here is that this doesn't quite give you the whole story as to which things to pick to refactor. If I have five things up here that are in the general generally in the same place and they're all Fs, right? You would think, oh, I could just pick any one and that would be good. Well, what you need to look at next, if you've got multiple candidates here, is how much test coverage does this have? Because if I've got one up here that has 20% test coverage, and I've got one up here that has 90% test coverage, I'm going to pick the 90% first, because I can refactor faster, I don't have to write a bunch more tests, and I can make sure I'm not going to dick something up on the way. So. That's where you use something like Skunk, because it'll go back through. I use it after this. I go back through and I run it on just those paths with those files and find out what my coverage is on those, because Skunk adds the, the test coverage into this. So then it'll kind of rank them by that. Now you can do a look at, you know, if you've run SimpleCov as part of your CI/CD or just routinely, you can just go look at them, find the files you want, and look at them in your simple cover port. But it's I, I just find skunk easier because it'll put it all together for me. <coughs> but this this is how I use 
Ruby Critic. And um, it's very similar in use and concept to, um, oh, what's it called? Um, Code Climate. Um, in fact, the Ruby Critic site talks about how to make a poor man's code climate out of Ruby, Ruby Critic. Uh, because basically, uh, the only thing that's really missing here is tying it into your GitHub and showing all the, you know, getting it to run and, and showing the outputs and that kind of stuff. But for those who aren't use, <laughs> but people who have been watching this that don't use Ruby, I'm sure there are other open source tools for their languages or Code Climate, I know, supports more than just Ruby. So you could use that is a paid tool to get something similar for your, whatever right. your code base is using. Yeah. And the important takeaway for all of those is this churn versus complexity chart is the best place to start. And if your tool doesn't have a churn versus complexity chart, I'd recommend looking at a different tool possibly, because this is immensely helpful. Um, so. How much have you used Ruby Critic? Not much. Would you? Sure. I mean, because it gives you a good overview of a code base and to see kind of where where the concerns are. Right. So is this now? So I come from a huge monolithic well not monolithic but a huge spread out code base environment and you're a small business environment do you see value in this for small business areas well sure i mean because it gives you a reflection on the quality of your code and how easy is it for someone to jump in and to start interpreting that because if you have something that's if the code is super highly complex, then essentially you've hindered your velocity, how fast you can make changes to it. Mm -hmm. So that impacts the business, whether they're large or small. Right. And so, I, would, yeah. I would say from a standpoint of being able to bring on and, and ramp up new programmers, yeah. you're that the small businesses are actually going to get more utility out of staying up with this because they don't have as much capacity. You know, if a, if a multi-billion dollar company takes six months to bring a programmer up to speed, they don't particularly care. If a small business takes six months to get a programmer up to speed, that's a problem, <laughs> you know? So you need to have stuff that's not complex so that they can, Get in there and understand it and get going. Um, so, anyway, um, I think that's about all I've got to say about Ruby Critic. I love it. I use it all the time. And I highly recommend it. If you I'll also, I'll also say that, you know, it's also, if you don't use a tool similar to, similar to this, it kind of helps educate you on what you don't know. So like you were saying here, you you would sing something is like, oh, what does what does that mean? Or what, you know, because even I was looking, I've looked at some of its output before and I was like, 
was talking about here. Mm -hmm. So it's also a good education and you could actually point this at any open source project you want to, and you could probably learn some stuff. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And the nice thing is it doesn't take very long to run, even on super big code bases like the one I'm involved in. It takes a couple of minutes, you know, it, it's not, it's pretty fast. I say the only disadvantage mm -hmm. is because the, going back to the question of, well, is that a false positive? And, you know, because I was asking you about the tests and there's some things you say, oh, well, I just ignore that. I think the only issue I have with this on a, in some cases is it's very opinionated. Like, oh, this method has too many lines in it. I'm like, well, maybe, yeah, maybe not, you know. So there's a particular opinion on how it was designed. Now, I don't know if you can go in and tweak. You can, there's some things. configs there that you can set. Yeah, um, but some of those I'm kind of like, uh, okay, you know. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's kind of the same thing with RuboCop. Well, because I, a couple of years ago, RuboCop would say anything over 80 characters was too long. And then I think they changed the default to 120 because everybody's working on widescreen monitors. Actually, my I go in and set it for 200 characters because if I can see it on my screen, I don't care if it's longer than that. You know, so, and I don't want it griping at me in Sublime every time that I go over by a character. So, yeah, it's it's opinionated by by defaults, but there's some there's some tweaking you can do to it. The good thing is too, though, that even if I'm looking at something like this, I may not want to see this. I may I may say, you know, hey, 24 methods isn't too big for this, but it's telling me 24 methods is too big for this. Well, in this particular case, maybe it's not. Probably is, but maybe it's not. But at least what it makes me do is go say, well, is it or is this okay? I have to go in and think about it. And yeah. that's that's the good thing, I think. And, you know, it's considering, okay, do I need to break this out into another class or set up a module for certain methods and stuff like, yeah. Yeah. Like this this thing that, um, irresponsible modular, module, It the this class doesn't have a descriptive comment. Most of my classes don't because I try to be really careful about Name them something very clear to what they are. Keep them small and simple. And a lot of times, putting a descriptive comment at the top of this class is going to take more time and, and more space and more effort than just reading the class because it's nice and simple. So for me, that's not often actually warranted. But there have been some times where I've gone back and looked at that after thinking about it and said, you know, I could see how maybe somebody might miss the point here. So I better write a little something. So it's really good for just kind of making you think about this stuff. The other good thing that I've noticed for me personally is that going through this so much over and over and over again, I start catching these things before I even get to Ruby Critic. While I'm coding, I'm saying, oh, I better not do that, or Ruby Critic's going to 
gripe at me about it, you know, yeah. and you just become a better coder um, from using these things. So, all right. So Ruby Critic or Code Climate or things like that, use them, love them, learn them, understand the churn versus complexity graph. It is your friend. You will like it a lot and your coding will get so much better. All right. So we will be next. Be, be, we'll be back next week on the 22nd. Uh, and that will be, we'll be talking about when should you do mocks in your tests? And when is that bad juju? <laughs> uh, so that'll be fun. I guess we'll probably lump, lump like stubs into that too, mocks and stubs, because they're kind of the, you know, the same kind of animal and kind of the same kind of rules about when you want to do it and when you don't. Anyway, that's enough of me running my mouth. We'll be back then. I hope you guys enjoyed that. If you did, please make sure to mash that like button. Don't forget to subscribe. Follow us on Twitch and or subscribe if you're on YouTube. We we love you, either one. It's it's cool. You're welcome here. Um, and <laughs> we hope to see you next time. Uh, back next Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern on December 22nd. Why should you mock? When should you mock? You should mock me because I'm tired and don't know what I'm saying. Anyway, um, <laughs> till then, happy coding. Happy coding. <laughs>